0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Ontario government is reportedly discussing delaying the start of in class learning for a couple of weeks. 2022 has arrived, and that means many people want to be healthier and even financially fit. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have created a new ownership group, and it includes Stelco. And a Hamilton musician is back home after a relationship breakup, and it's fueling his music. The GMH Podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Well, last week, Ontario's top doctors said the province will push back the return to school to Wednesday. It's just a couple of days from today as COVID-19 infections spike. But we are now hearing that Premier Doug Ford's cabinet met virtually yesterday yesterday and discuss the suspension of in-class learning for the first two weeks of January. The is going to hold a news conference at 10 this morning. CHML will carry it live. But what gives? What's going on with schools? Well, let's ask an expert. Annie Kidder is the executive director with People for Education and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Annie, and Happy New Year.
2: thank you very much good morning rick if only i knew what was happening
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes us too your reaction to these uh, latest developments and these rumblings from the provincial cabinet
2: oh it's so hard i was along with many other people kind of you know doom scrolling we have you know pivot with one word doom scrolling another last night going what is happening i think What's a little bit hard right now is, is how scrambly this feels. So, you know, we literally, there seemed to be no leaks and nobody does know. So what, suddenly last night somebody said, yeah, two more weeks of school closings. Other people said, no, 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 we don't know what it is yet. It seemed as if trial balloons were being, you know, flown to see what the reaction would be. I think that um, I think it is really I am not an epidemiologist, obviously, or a scientist or a doctor. I think it's very important that we listen to them. I think that people who work in hospitals and epidemiologists are very, very concerned about opening schools, uh, because lots of kids uh, under 12 aren't vaccinated. Um, and because we, d- we don't know how many people have COVID right now. And I think for me, personally, as a human being, that worries me the most. So a directive came out from the ministry very late, um, just before New Year's, saying we're not going to keep numbers anymore, so don't tell us how many kids in your schools have COVID. Um, and even, you know, we have, and I understand there's a, you know, a problem with having sufficient trained staff, but we don't even know what the numbers really are. So we hear these huge numbers, more than 16,000, but with the proviso always, these don't reflect the actual numbers. They're much, much higher. So I think that, you know, what's worrying right now is we're not, we don't seem to have the evidence and that probably there's 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 a lot more politics going on in the decision making making than than what one would hope.
0: I just want to hop on one point before we discuss uh, whether or not this is a good plan or not. Um, the the COVID stats in schools is that is that going to be uh, missing? Is that important to have that data?
2: It's incredibly important to have, and I still can't quite wrap my brain around why we've decided to. I understand we don't have enough tests, so it's hard to To keep track. I mean, I'm I'm a human being. I had we had Christmas dinner outside. Um, two of the young people at the Christmas bit dinner tested positive for COVID after Christmas. There's nobody to tell. So there's two cases for sure that nobody heard about. None of the rest of us, thank goodness. Uh, got COVID or tested positive because we followed all the rules, but it means that we don't know. So in schools in particular, what they're going to keep track of is absenteeism and guess it's COVID. But, but having, not having data. Um, makes a huge difference. It's already been a problem in education because we don't have sufficient assessment of how kids are doing, you know, in terms of their mental health, their well-being, but also their sort of educational issues. Um, And to now take another piece of data out of there to not know how many kids um, actually test positive for covid or to understand where there are outbreaks due to covid um just seems like a huge loss and i still i still don't really understand uh the 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 logic behind it it seems a little bit like throwing up your hands and going oh well we just can't keep track of this it's too big uh and that that really feels like a problem
0: Annie Kidder is our guest executive director of people for education you're listening to good morning Hamilton on 900 chML Rick Samprin with you you use the term scrambly and it certainly feels that way in <laughs> in terms of the return to school plan because it was just announced last week that okay we'll come back Wednesday we'll give schools and staff and teachers a couple of days to get ready uh, to make our schools as safe as they can be BC announced a, a day or two in advance of Ontario's announcement that they wouldn't return until January 10th giving them at least a week uh, extra mm-hmm. to get ready um to delay or not to delay i mean what are the pros and cons of of uh, students learning virtually uh, once again
2: well they, and they're they're huge the pros and cons it's really hard to understand two days it doesn't really it's like uh, you know, uh, it's just a kind of not feels like a non decision because it's actually not enough time to get out proper masks or or to get ready in that way. The pros and cons are really, really big. The cons are this is terrible. For students and young people and children, it's terrible for them uh, to to not have that in-person learning, those relationships, that time in school. Um, it's terrible for them in terms of how they're feeling about the world, their mental health, the the sense that. Um, you know, of, of kind of insecurity. Uh, routine is incredibly important for kids, even if they bridle against it. It's, it is good for them and, and healthy. So the cons the, 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 uh, are are really big in terms of um, closing schools. But the pros, and what some people have been saying is, look, you've got to give us two weeks. The the evidence seems to be of this huge, enormous spike. Uh, with Omicron that kind of settles down a little tiny bit and that two weeks would give uh, time to get everybody vaccinated. And that's the other, you know, really worrying part of this is that still only just over 40% of kids... Uh, five to 11, who can be vaccinated are, so that two weeks would give time to get way more kids vaccinated to ensure all staff is vaccinated, to make sure everybody in schools, kids and staff, have the right kind of masks, which now we are being told unequivocally they are N95 masks, um, and to make sure that we have everything else in place so that we're not ending up with outbreaks in schools. Uh, It is really important that we're keeping track of it too, but... It's a way to, to deal with community health. But again, it's bad for kids. There's, there is no question. Nobody can argue this is really, really great for kids to do this. It isn't. And it's incredibly hard on families. And it's disproportionately hard on some families. So there are lots of families who have to continue going to work uh, outside of the home no matter what. Um, there are families that were already struggling, kids that were already struggling, and moving to online learning is very, very hard on them. And so there's a, you know, a, so, you know, this is, this is the only part of me right now that has sympathy for the politicians is that they're having to weigh very big issues about community health and children's health. Um, but what I hope and what I wish is that they're listening to experts. Other provinces have education steering committees that has um, that have on them, you know, educators and health experts, uh, people with experience, people with evidence and knowledge. And we should be having those kinds of meetings. And I think politicians are incredibly important. And, I, I'm, you know, I give them all the credit in the world for making the sacrifice to be politicians. But I would rather our health decisions and our education decisions uh, were made... Uh, by experts giving advice to politicians rather than politicians sitting around a kind of a virtual table wrestling uh, with, with various points of view, which seems to be what's happening right now.
0: We have one more minute with uh, Annie Kidder, executive <laughs> director. No, no problem at all. People for Education is uh, where Annie's from. And I, I want to, you know, from that scrambly or scrambling kind of mode, teachers have to be scrambling as well because they have oh. put in a position where they have to make things work
2: now. Well, no, teachers, and also, let's not forget daycare, yeah. uh, where they're not being offered N95 masks, and they've been scrambling all the way, all along. So, um, But for, for educators, for everybody running schools, imagine what principals are doing right now, or people running school boards, trying to ensure their staff, for one thing, because we are seeing huge staff t- shortages. If we don't have people to fly planes, obviously we're going to have the same issue in schools. Um, so everybody is scrambling, and I think that, we shouldn't have that feeling right now that some of these decisions could have been made a long time ago everybody warned of absolutely this they said this is exactly what's going to happen um, everybody uh, more than a month ago said everybody should have n 95 masks so we shouldn't we shouldn't be adding to the the already stressful uh kind of uh work and experience of school staff school board staff um parents and kids
0: it is a, a tense time, uh, whether you're a student or a teacher, or a staff member, uh, whatever the case is. Annie, really appreciate you uh, a, shining a light on this and uh, <laughs> giving us some insight into what uh, may or may not happen in the next couple of days.
2: Exactly. Okay, well, Happy New Year, Rick.
0: You're
1: listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Happy New Year. And yes, as the new year begins, many people want to get into better shape, perhaps eat better, eat healthier. But the question is, how can you maintain this kind of resolution? Easier said than done. I'm sure many of our listeners tuning in right now are thinking, yeah, I've I've tried this in the past. I've tried to eat better. You know, come late January, early February, maybe sometime in March, I'm like, "Ah, I've done enough. I've had it. I can't do it. I got to grab into my cookie jar, get some chocolate. To heck with exercising. I'm done with this. (laughs) We've all been there. Shannon Crocker is a registered dietitian and nutrition communication specialist and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, Rick. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. We all have the best intentions to get healthier, eat better, but they usually don't work. Why do we fall down all the time?
3: Oh, well, you know what? First of all, I understand the appeal of setting, you know, yourself some new goals at the start of a new year. It seems like a great time to set up some healthy habits. But I think what happens is we get really excited about that. We go a little overboard and we create goals that are unrealistic. They're just not achievable. So, for example, you know, if, if you don't eat vegetables, on a regular basis, and now you're going to eat them at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's probably not going to work for you. So um, what I recommend is that people take small, simple steps. They make simple goals that are actually achievable and that will help to benefit their, their overall health.
0: So if it's vegetables, maybe it's, hey, I want to eat vegetables more often, or do you have to be more specific, at least once a day?
3: oh you need to be really specific in that way when you're very specific about your goals you'll be able to measure them and know when you've had some success so for example let's let's take vegetables what i might say is i'm going to create half my plate of vegetables at dinner every day i'm going to eat one fruit or vegetable for my snack and I'm going to make sure that I have one serving of vegetables at lunch. So something like that that's very specific, instead of just oh, I'm going to eat better or oh, I'm going to eat more, will help to make sure that you've you've set up a goal that's actually achievable.
0: French fries considered a vegetable?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Technically, yes. <laughs> but you know what? You bring up a great point, Rick, and I think that um, people tend to cut out all of those foods that they think you know, are quote unquote bad for you. And and what I want to tell you is that when you restrict some of your favorite foods, you're really going to set yourself up at some point for just craving them. And then when you give in and you eat those foods, you're going to feel really badly. So, you know, a healthy overall eating pattern includes some of those foods that you love on occasion so that you get to enjoy them and not put them up on this pedestal where, It makes them something that, you know, more than what they are. And so when when you eat them, you know, you feel badly. And you don't don't want to do that because then, then, you know, you set up this whole cycle about feeling like you failed and feeling guilty and then you give up.
0: Shannon Crocker is our guest, a registered dietitian, nutrition, communication specialist. You can check out our website. It's got some great recipes on there, shannoncrocker.ca. Should we also start small? And, you know, if we want to stay with the vegetable front, you know, I want to eat a certain kind of vegetable that I haven't eaten in a long time or just focus on one particular meal all the time. You mentioned dinner. Is it is it important to start small and not uh, try to do everything all at once?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think starting small and setting yourself up (laughs) for success to meet that goal is really important. So, for example, let's say, you know, you're going to add a vegetable at dinner every day. Well, then the day before, cut that vegetable up and have it ready. On Sunday, say, have a rough plan of what you're going to eat so that, you know, ahead of time, you've got the food ready. You've got it in the house. Um, Maybe you've got a recipe in mind. So you put all of these little things in place behind that goal to help make sure that you set it up for success. And, and I think that making those sort of small, simple changes can actually also have a big difference. And once you sort of are used to working with that change, then you can add something in. You don't need to overhaul your entire diet to be healthy, right? Even small changes can make a difference.
0: And it's okay to have a cheat day or to fall off the wagon, right?
3: Oh, you know what, that word cheat day really is so connected to diet culture that I, I'd love people to sort of get that out of their language. Um, because really, you know, you cheat at cards, you don't cheat on your diet. So think about, um, you know, if you if you set yourself up to enjoy small amounts of those, you know, sort of favorite foods that you have that you might, people might put on those quote unquote cheat days. Um, at other times, you'll just eat healthy, you know, all the time, instead of saving it, you know, one day for, you know, eating less healthy. And and I think that if you let's say you set up yourself for goals, and then you do, you know, fall off the wagon, let's say like, yeah, but, you know, something happens, and, and you've got a, a bad week, and you can't follow your habits, don't beat yourself up over it, just get back on that horse, and start again. Right. And maybe it was because your goal was too lofty. Maybe it was because you were being too restrictive and that caused you to have you know, cravings for particular foods. Maybe it's because stress overwhelmed you. And so having some things in place to help you manage stress for everybody right now is, is just really so important because um, stress impacts your body in so many ways, including your eating habits.
0: Speaking of eating, should we still be eating Christmas and maybe even New Year's leftovers?
3: Oh, well, you know what? So if it was like a, a hot food meal, those things are ba- definitely past their due date unless you put them in the freezer. So maybe New Year's Eve, you know, usually a, a leftover would last for a three to four days in the fridge, depending on what that food happened to be. Um, if you had frozen it, then sure, you've got a you've got a few months. But if you still have, you know, turkey from Christmas, it's it's past its due date. If you've got cookies and candies and those sorts of things, which probably lots of people do, what I suggest is you freeze those too. So chocolate freezes well, cookies, all those things they freeze well, and then you'll have them. For another time, you know, when you want to pull them out, maybe you're, you know, at some point here, we're going to be able to have people over again. Uh, you know, maybe you've got some friends coming over, family, whatever. You can pull those out. You've got them in your freezer ready to go.
0: I have chocolate still from last Christmas. I guess I should dump that.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that probably isn't so tasty anymore. <laughs> yeah.
0: Or maybe serve it to some people I don't like. Shannon, I got, <laughs> we got to run. Thanks for the time today and uh, Happy New Year.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, Rick. Happy New Year.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: It is 2022. Yes, Happy New Year. New Year's resolution time as well as many people want to get uh, fit, healthier. They want to eat better, lose some weight, maybe quit smoking, whatever the case is. How about a financial New Year's resolution? Paul Anatiak is a vice president and licensed insolvency trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Paul, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Rick. It's, uh, it's great to be back. this Well, the first time this year, it's,
4: it's cold out, you're right. And, yeah. uh, but you know what? We have the whole year ahead of us, so let's not worry about the temperature today because uh, we have some uh, good days to come ahead of us.
0: We've heard the term dry January when it comes to things like alcohol. How about dry January or a freeze on spending this month? Is that a resolution that we should be making?
4: That's a great resolution to have and a lot of times people come into the new year uh, with these lofty ideas and goals what they're going to have for the resolutions and they don't know where to start. A dry January is perfect and what a dry January is it's really a moratorium on making extra buys for the month of January. Now we've just probably gone through our busiest shopping month of the year. A lot of people probably have bought a little too much, gone a little overboard. So, you know, January is a perfect time for a reset. Time to sit back, time to take stock what you have, and time to take a look at, you know, do I need to make that extra purchase now? Can I avoid it or do I have what I need in the house at this time?
0: Yeah, January is also the month, I think, when many people are looking at their credit card statements and say, what have I done?
4: January is an a, a avoidance month for a lot of people to, to the credit card statements. You know, years ago when uh, everyone's credit card statements used to revive, uh, arrive in the mail, this is a time of year we used to see the stacks of mail like people used to have that were building up by their door. Now, unfortunately, with uh, the Internet, now people don't even have to look at their... Uh, statements anymore. It's online. They can avoid it. It's a lot easier. But you're right. People are going to be taking a look at their bills that are coming in this month and saying, what did I spend my money on? Here's where we're starting to get a lot of buyer's remorse
0: that happens in January. And that's why, again, it's a good time for a dry January. An Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global News shows 41% of Canadians plan to make financial resolutions for the new year. 48% will aim to pay off debt. 45% want to make and stick to a budget. Are those numbers encouraging? Those are very encouraging. And we've been speaking over the last year
4: regarding uh, the financial literacy of really Canadians. And we've talked about it year after year. It seems only half of Canadians have budgets. So, the number that really strikes me is that 45% that want to make and stick to a budget because that's very important. Your budget is your GPS for your financial future. And it really helps you to determine where am I going? Where can I cut back? And what do I do if I need to, you know make it through the next little while. We know COVID's not going away yet. So, you know, we're still in a pandemic and a lot of people are suffering. So by making a budget, it's going to help for the new year.
0: We're talking about 2022 financial resolutions with Paul Anadiak, Vice President, Licensed Insolvencies Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. One of the keys, I would think, is to make specific attainable targets. Is that a, a, uh, uh, something that we should start with? Uh, the, the smart uh, program, and really that's what it is
4: uh, specific, measurable, action oriented, realistic, and timelines. Definitely, you want to have something specific. The problem with New Year's resolutions and why a lot of them are broken is because people are not specific with it. Sure, you know, you want to lose weight for the new year or you want to have a savings uh, plan in place. But a lot of people don't know where to, to start and they don't know where they're going. By having a smart program in place, it's going to allow you to take a look at it and it's going to allow you to re-examine your goals as the year goes on. And it's important to remember that, you know, with it comes with your financial uh, future, you know, there's going to be bumps in the road. We have seen that through COVID. So it's important to roll with the punches. And that's also the key uh, issue is roll with the punches because things are going to happen in life. You're going to be able to adjust your goals, eventually you're going to meet your goals, but it's not not always going to be the smoothest of sailing.
0: Yeah, and to that effect, I mean, rolling with the punches and and tweaking and adjusting things would uh, apply to your budget as well. I mean, that's not set in stone. Emergencies happen, life happens, stuff gets in the way, and it's important that people understand that they can adjust and tweak their budget as well. You know...
4: in a perfect world, everyone's going to have a fixed budget, you know, fixed income coming in, fixed expenses. But that doesn't happen. We don't live in a perfect world. So changes happen to happen all the time. Emergencies happen all the time. Really, COVID has made us look at ourselves, look at what we consider as an emergency, and really define that even a lot better. If you look at the Ipsos poll, another really good uh, percentage was that 38 percent or actually thirty six percent we're looking at saving for a rainy day or emergency fund. So that is very encouraging that Canadians are starting to realize that I need to put money aside in case of trouble.
0: Paul Inadiuk is our guest, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You mentioned uh, starting an emergency fund. Uh, We should also discuss what constitutes an emergency because people might think, you know, 2022 is the year I want to take a trip because, you know, I've had enough of this pandemic. Let me dip into my emergency fund.
4: That's right. A lot of people, uh, set up an emergency fund and then they drain it uh, as soon as something else comes along. So defining an emergency, and that really comes down to, you know, someone's uh, personal preference, but COVID really, you know, allowed us to focus on that. An emergency, for example, an emergency is if, if, if you're commuting to work and all of a sudden it's pothole season you hit a pothole and you need to do a repair that's an emergency uh, going out to celebrate that maybe we're going to be going it you know getting out of another lockdown that's not so much of an emergency so really define what an emergency is and also when you're setting up that goal make sure that when you put your money into an emergency fund it's easily accessible but not that easily accessible that if you get you know the pressure put on you to spend it, but you don't spend it right away.
0: We should also mention to our listeners that there are options available to those individuals and families who do require some financial assistance. You know, maybe those government supports like CERB have ended and now they're really having a tough time um, making ends meet. What are some of the options available to people who are in this category?
4: Well, there's a lot of options. And, And the sooner you explore your options, the more options you're going to have. And we have discussed that in the past. You know, something as simple as budgeting. Uh, that that's the number one uh, issue that a lot of people I meet with have issues with. But we sit down with individuals and we talk about, you know, reorganizing their debt. Trying to get a lower interest rate, getting a payment plan in place that's flexible for them. Ultimately, if someone is struggling and they cannot afford it any further, we do talk about consumer proposals and bankruptcies with individuals. You know, a bankruptcy is not the end. Just like a new year, it's a financial rebirth. So it's always an option for you to reset yourself
0: financially and plan for the future. We're chatting about uh, financial New Year's resolutions with Paul Ananiak, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. You're listening to Good Morning. Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rex Amprin with you this morning. Um, Whenever someone wants to lose weight or get healthier in the new year, they might pair up with a workout buddy. Does that work from a financial standpoint? It does. It does
4: work from a financial standpoint. Now, uh, Similar if you're losing weight, a lot of times you'll go into a trainer, meet with a trainer. A licensed insolvency trustee, uh, such as myself, we meet with individuals, go over their financial situation in a system. Uh, if you're looking for a financial buddy, that is always a great option. However, with a financial buddy, you have to remember, you know, you're gonna be putting a lot of confidence in this individual. Is this the individual you want to be putting confidence in? Are you also gonna get the support back? Because the last thing you wanna have to go through is, if you're gonna have a financial buddy, You're all of a sudden, the pressures are there that you want to spend some more money. Are you going to have that support back? So it's important to remember that all the time. Always make sure that you have the right advice. You're getting the correct advice. And again, that's why a licensed insolvency trustee might be the first person to reach
0: out to. Paul, great advice as always. Thanks for joining us today and Happy New Year as well. Thanks, Rick. Happy New Year.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML
0: big news out of the hammer over the weekend. A new ownership group with the Tiger Cats has been created. We have also heard uh, quite recently that head coach Orlando Steinauer is going to stick around on the sidelines in 2022, although he's been given a bit of a promotion. The team's front office though does look a little bit different. What impact will that have and what impact will free agency have on this team? Well, Let's ask our next guest. Justin Dunk is a three-down nation insider and sports anchor with CHCH-TV. Good morning and Happy New Year Justin,
5: Happy New Year to you too, Rick.
0: So, I guess we'll start with the biggest news, and that's the new ownership group, which now involves Stelco, Scott Mitchell, Jim Lawson, the CEO of Woodbine Entertainment Group, Bob Young, still the majority shareholder. Your thoughts on this big news in Steeltown?
5: The major key to this is Bob Young, the caretaker, ensuring the franchise is taken care of in the future when he either moves on or can't do it anymore. So the number that stood out to me was that Stelco is going to own 40% of the new Hamilton sports group. Now, Young is still the majority shareholder, but the fact that that number is out there, 40% that Stelco is going to own in this new venture, to me really shows that they're serious about owning the team and also that Young is planning for the future when he eventually retires and maybe doesn't want to be as busy as he has been the last number of years since he's owned the team
0: so this is really all about a succession plan going forward
5: it really is because you look at some of the other franchises in the league people talk about the Argos obviously just down the road in the QEW and what's going to happen with them in the future and does MLS even really care about them and you had the Montreal Alouettes who Really, we're losing a bunch of money and then we're bought by another guy with a steel background. So it makes sense that Young wants to ensure that if the league is viable the Tiger Cats can be for decades to come after he's not around.
0: Uh, in the front office, head coach Orlando Steinhauer staying on the sidelines, but he received uh, an early Christmas gift by being named the president of football operations. What does that mean for him and what does that mean for the team?
5: For Steinauer, it's going to mean that he's going to have final say over everything that goes on in the football aspect of it. So final say on the roster And really everything else that goes on, of course, when it comes to the football season, he's going to be the head coach and want to be making decisions there and the leader on game day. But really, it was something that needed to happen. Otherwise, you could have seen him potentially leave to go elsewhere, right? There was speculation about him going to the University of Washington to be their defensive coordinator. He said he never talked to them directly. He used the word I But the sense that I get is there was at least interest from their side. And then you go look at Fresno State where he was before, Jeff Tedford, back there as the head coach. And there was some talk that maybe they could lure him back down that side of the border to go back with the Bulldogs. So I think that this promotion was warranted in a lot of ways, but also it was a way for the Ticats to be able to give him more power and more money to keep him in Hamilton for longer.
0: Justin Dunk is our guest, three down nation insider, sports anchor with CHCH TV. We're chatting about the Hamilton Tiger Cats and some of their off season moves, which includes the creation of a new ownership group, a new title for head coach Orlando Steinauer. They have lost an individual in their front office, and that is Sean Burke, who was one of the assistant GMs in Hamilton, now taking up that post in Ottawa. How big of a loss is this?
5: Well. I think it's one that the Ticats are going to be ready to replace and move on from. That's why Steinauer's got the new title. But Burke has been with the organization, or had been, I should say, with the organization, I believe, all the way back since 2007. Started in community relations, really worked his way up in the franchise, learned every ounce that he could about doing the job until he moved on to another organization so I think certainly in the short term it's going to be a loss because Burke has been around for so long he handled lots of the contract negotiations for the team with players and bringing them in and then also on the personnel evaluation side who to resign who to give money to you know, who they can move, maybe move on from and some of the younger guys that were brought into the organization. So he's been there through multiple regimes, seen a lot of ways of how things are done and was a big piece of these teams recently that went to back-to-back Grey Cups. So it's certainly going to be something that they need to replace and something that Steinauer has tried to do in putting his staff together with him as president of football ops, but also surrounding himself with three assistant GMs. Spencer Zimmerman comes back to the organization. Ed Hervey, who's been a Grey Cup-winning GM in the past with Edmonton, comes into the equation. So there are a couple guys there with experience from other organizations. Zimmerman was in Toronto when they won the Grey Cup with the Argos in 2017. And then Drew Allemang, who's been there for a number of years, is an assistant GM as well. So they've set themselves up to be on to the next phase without Burke that said, He's been with the organization for so long that it's hard to see him go.
0: Yeah, and a great guy, too, and we wish him all the best in the nation's capital. Free agency begins in about a month. Um, Every team has a boatload of free agents, so every team will be busy from a Ticats perspective. All eyes on the quarterback situation, Jeremiah Masoli, Dane Evans. Dane has already said he, he wants to test free agency to see where he is. Masoli might do the same. What's your sense on what might happen on the quarterback front here in Hamilton?
5: That's going to be the key position. Obviously, you mentioned it's going to be the focus. And yes, Evans did say he wants to test free agency. But I would have a hard time believing that if the Ticats put a legitimate offer in front of him, and by that I mean a starting quarterback type of offer, because to be quite honest, Evans has played at a bargain rate the last few seasons to allow them to develop him further but also signed Jeremiah Masoli to the contracts that Masoli has been on. So essentially, Dane Evans has been making backup money, although a little better than that, and Masoli was paid starter money. He was making about $350,000, although prorated for the short 14-game regular season in 2021. So my sense is that they could be looking at Evans because he's younger, because he's been the guy that was at least the starter in the last two great cups and go that way and build around him for the future. But there's still decisions to be made because masoli has been with the organization for so long and he's been very productive. And we saw that he can handle any situation coming into that great cup, rallying the team back and nearly leading them to great cups. So there's still a major decision to be made there. That's ongoing with the new staff that's been put in place.
0: Yeah, it'll be the most interesting decision, I think, of any team this offseason, to see which way the Ticats go with their quarterback situation. Justin, appreciate the time. Again, Happy New Year. Enjoy the rest of the day.
1: Thanks, Rick. You too. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: After living in Texas for over a decade, a devastating breakup brought our next guest back to Hamilton, which has spawned a new musical beginning. His name is Bryce Clifford, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good
6: morning and happy new year, Bryce. Good morning. How's it going? Good. How are you? you got me okay <laughs>
0: i got you um yeah. so you you had a a pretty devastating relationship breakup but you've turned that negative into a big positive with some new music tell about tell us about your journey here
6: uh yeah that's right it's a little embarrassing that uh that's the backstory but uh it is true and uh yeah yeah well it's uh, one of those things i mean the bottom fell out pretty quickly on uh little relationship I was excited about. This is a couple of years back. So, uh, you know, it's all good now doing fine now, but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I kind of decided that day I, uh, I was gonna, uh, whip back up to Canada, find a place to, uh, write some songs. And I just made up my mind. I was going to make a whole new record out of all the emotions I had going on from that. Why was
0: it important to come back to Hamilton and do that?
6: Um, I didn't come back to Hamilton. I came back to a little spot outside of London where I'm from originally. Um, I don't know. I just had to get, you know how they say, you know, had to get out of town and, uh, far enough away as I could. And, you know, there's probably something about, um, it was winter time and, uh, I felt like I wanted to be around snow, you know, that's, that's how I grew up and, um, you know, I grew up writing songs in basements and around the snow, and uh, that's where I feel comfortable doing it. So
0: so you use this breakup maybe as a, was it a cathartic kind of proceeding in, in writing and, and kind of uh, composing these songs?
6: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I still haven't quite figured out what that is, that mechanism, but, uh, you know, I actually found a lot of joy in uh, writing these, <laughs> you know, sad songs. Um, but that's how it goes. It's almost like and the Adele, it's almost like the Adele album, <laughs> you know, I guess so, you know, and it sort of was like a uh, letter to this person and, uh, I, it actually worked because we did get back together in about, uh, eight months after that.
0: Wow. That's cool. So tell us about this song, Checkpoint Charlie. It's pretty catchy.
6: Checkpoint Charlie. Oh, you check that out. eh? cool. Um, well, that's, that's pretty uh, literally about getting in the car and getting out of there. And um, there's all kinds of checkpoints around Texas, of course. So it's about just kind of blowing through those checkpoints and um, not caring. Um, Yeah, it's a nice rocker. I recorded that one up here with a guy named Siegfried up in Godrich. And uh, I got the drummer from um, Texas King who play around here. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and pretty... I'm making a little music video for that one right now.
0: Oh, cool! Yeah, it's a, it's a catchy tune. Well,
6: what's next for you here? Well, I'm just I'm kind of excited about uh, shows coming back. So, I've been uh, putting on shows uh, every weekend at my brother's brewery, um, Clifford Brewing. Have you heard of that? I have not, but we have now. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, he uh, he's over on like Barton and Nash. Okay. Um, and that he's got this brewery he's been going about three years now and uh he actually won uh, canadian brewery of the year in 2019 so it's a uh, yeah he's he's like he's doing great over there and killing it and i was i'm getting the music started and going over there and i had my band playing every friday since september uh the band that i've got going here in canada and uh we had all kinds of guests coming in and of course things are all getting canceled right now, but I'm excited to get the music back up and going there and playing every Friday night.
0: That is cool. Yeah, music and beer go hand in hand, that's for sure. Bryce, really appreciate the time. Congrats on uh, the new uh, single, Checkpoint Charlie, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, thanks a lot.